Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Uh, the preaching team back in July and asked me if I would fill in a few ser- uh, for a few sermons. I said yes, and I feel really blessed to be here sharing with you. Uh, really, it's a privilege. Uh, so thanks for having me and being willing to listen. Uh, before we start, I really do want to thank the staff that we have here uh, during the transition. Verna, uh, Julie, Jeannie, Matt, John, Doug for stepping in part-time. Thank you. Uh, I know that each one of you has uh, taken on extra duties uh, and have ensured that this body continues to serve God in this community. Uh, so as you see them, please be sure to thank them. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray again real quick. Father God, we come before you and we acknowledge that you are Lord. You're Lord over this, this church body. You're Lord over this valley. You're Lord over our lives. God, I ask as we dig into your word today that uh, you would soften our hearts for what you have. God, that there would be room for your teaching, room for your scripture in our heart today. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Uh, so there are many of you that know me and many of you that I don't know at all. So I'm, Matt did introduce me. I'm going to share a little bit more about myself. Uh, my wife, Jessica, and I have been married for six years now. And we have two children. Lily is three. And uh, my son, Adam, will be two this week. They are exhausting and uh, wonderful all at the same time. Uh, man, God has really blessed me with a great family. Um, right out of college from Mesa State, I got a teaching job at R5 High School teaching social studies. This is my seventh year teaching there, and I love it. I love that I get to build meaningful relationships with these kids. Uh, I love watching teenagers grow. It's hard work, but it's, uh, it's fun work. It really is. I was raised in a Christian home in Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, attending a Baptist church. Uh, and I can remember from a very young age, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, so on and so forth, I prayed many times, Dear Jesus, please come into my heart. Uh, please come into my heart. Save me. Um, and then the next morning I would wake up and I would feel worried because I didn't feel different and uh, that I didn't say it right. So again, that night I would pray it again. Um, and I just remember praying the Lord's Prayer many times. And, I, and that was a good thing for me because I, growing up the rest of, um, you know, being raised, I really did believe that God was real and that uh, he was Lord, that he could save me. But uh, it was not until college that uh, I really came to know Jesus as my Savior. Uh, prior to college, I lived by my works, uh, and my faith was really defined by me being a goody-two-shoes, and through most of high school, I was a pretty good goody-two-shoes. Um, and it wasn't until college that, for the first time, I really encountered God and was confronted with my sin. Uh, and that first week of college, I was seeking out ministries to get involved in, and I found Master Plan Ministries. 
uh, Hope and Forest attend this church, and they're on staff, and they are great people to support, FYI. Um, and through Master Plan, I met Kyle Kostreva, and he was the lead staff member at the time. And he challenged me to read my Bible on my own. It sounds kind of simple, right? But all of this stuff that I had learned going up, growing up in church finally came alive to me once I was reading it on my own. Um, it was like the pages were just coming alive and my faith was sparked and I was growing in Christ. I was excited about what was happening. I was attending this church. Uh, another one of God's blessings, I met Pastor Rob's uh, daughter and son-in-law, Jess and Jen, the first week. And week two of college, I started attending church here and been here ever since. Uh, however, during those early days in college, I was dating an old high school girlfriend. And uh, we did the long distance thing. And if I'm honest with you, our relationship really revolved around physical intimacy. Um, while I was at Mesa, I was excited about what I was learning about Christ and hid my relationship with her. And when I was with her, uh, everything I was learning about being a Christ follower just didn't matter. It wasn't until this one day in college that I was caught in this sin. I was caught in this sin, and on that same day, uh, I was encountered by God. Now, I believe that God's presence is with us always. God will never leave us nor forsake us. But we don't feel him all the time, do we? This is why we live by faith and not our feelings. Okay? Uh, however, there are very few times in our life when we do, we get to experience the presence of God, and it is almost palpable. And, and in those moments, those very few moments in our life, you really, you're not sure what to do. You're just kind of in awe, right? Um, I can remember this day in college. This, uh, this day I was caught in sin. This was when I, I got to encounter God. And I remember sitting in my dorm room, crying and really feeling ashamed, feeling dirty, dirty of my sin. And I think it was the first time in my life that I realized that uh, I was a sinner and God is holy. Like God is holy. And I felt dirty in front of him. I was afraid before our holy God. To be honest with you, I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, I was just scared and ashamed. And now I want to ask you, think about when was the last time that you encountered God? When was the last time you encountered God? How did you respond? How have you responded to God in your life? Think about that quietly for a moment. In this sermon series, we've been going through the heroes of our faith, listening to stories of people in the Old Testament and how they responded to God when God encountered them. Uh, today, we get to look at Rahab and how Rahab responds when she is confronted with God. Now, folks, this is how salvation happens. We hear stories. We hear stories about how God uh, moves in our lives, moves in the lives of the stories of the people here. And when we hear these stories, we, we respond. 
and we have to respond one way or the other. We say, oh, that's a, that's a pretty cool story for you. Or we respond and we say, maybe God's calling me too. <laughs> that's why I share God's story in my life with you. That's why I'm going to ask you to reflect on God's story in your life. Uh, that's why we're going to read scripture and read the story of these Old Testament heroes. God interacting with people. Rahab's story is about how a prostitute, when encountered by God, responds fearfully and faithfully in his refuge. Now, let's dig into Rahab's story. Please turn your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter. The whole chapter is Rahab's story. As you turn there, I'm going to give us the context for Rahab's story. Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt, delivered them from slavery, and they are walking through the desert towards the promised land. Along the way, uh, these very Israelites that saw God split the Red Sea before their eyes begin to lose faith in the same God. And as a result of the lack of their faith, Uh, God makes them wander in the desert for years until the entire first generation of Israelites dies as a result of the lack of their faith. And when only two of these original, uh, this generation of Israelites remain, Joshua and Caleb, God is now ready to give the Israelites the promised land. Joshua has replaced Moses as their leader. And the people are ready and willing to follow Joshua. And uh, Joshua is ready to follow God uh, and his will into the promised land. The first stop into the promised land is Jericho. Jericho is the first city that must be conquered. And this is where our story picks up. So read along with me. We're going to start in verse 1. Work our way all the way through the whole chapter. Joshua chapter 2. And I'm reading out of the NIV here, just so you know. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you. And entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed when we 
When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you do not tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord around the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother and your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with, with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left... They went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Three takeaways from Rahab's story. The first... When we first encounter God, our first response is fear. Second, we have to put our faith into action. And the third is that God's redemption is for all people. So let's dig into this first point here. How did this woman, a Canaanite, and a harlot come to saving faith in the Israelites' God? How did this happen? It starts with fear. See, Rahab feared God more than any other entity or being. Verses 9 and 10, she says, I know the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Rahab's heart melted in fear of the Lord. Somehow, while the Israelites are wandering in the desert, she hears stories. She hears these stories about this God and these Israelites, and she hears the story of the Red Sea being split and how this God delivered them out of the most powerful nation of Egypt. And the story says that these people are coming to her land to take it over so that God can make a way for his people. This is Rahab's home. These are her friends, her neighborhood, her community, everything she holds dear. She recognizes her position before God. 
that God is the Lord of heaven above and earth below and that there's nothing she can do to save herself from him. That his power reigns supreme and she has none before him. And out of fear, out of a melting heart, she confesses, based on hearing these stories, that God is the God of heaven above and earth below. Read verse 11 with me. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God of heaven above and earth below. This is a remarkable response from Rahab. Um, This is the very response God so desires to hear from the Israelites, his people. I'm going to take you to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 real quick. I can read it for you. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 39 and 40. Um, The Israelites are with Moses. They're in the desert. They've been delivered. And God is ready to establish the nation of Israel. And he is about to give them the Ten Commandments, give them the law, and establish this nation. And this is what God has to say. Uh, This is what God has to say to them in this moment. Verse 39. Acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and his commands, which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, that you may live long in the land the Lord God has given you for all time. Uh, (laughs) This is the confession that the Israelites are supposed to make. Not Rahab the harlot from Jericho. And yet she does. Just based on the story, she hears about his power. Folks, Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Rahab's faith begins with fearing the Lord. Her heart is melting in fear of him, and in that fear she confesses that he is Lord. By contrast, the Israelites... They bear witness to this awesome power. Um, And as they are walking towards the promised land, their hearts no longer acknowledge him as God of heaven above and earth below, but rather their hearts feel entitled toward God. They say, God, you saved us so that we could walk through the blistering hot desert and eat manna every day. Where's the milk and the honey that you promised us? Their hearts are entitled. They don't fear God anymore. And I'd like for us uh, to take a second and reflect on what that means. What does it mean to actually fear the Lord? In our modern American culture, we often feel entitled to comfort. We just do here in America. And as a result, I, I really do think it's a challenge for us to truly fear God. Uh, And I'm not talking about this intellectual reverence of God. That tends to be what we see here in our uh, American Christian church. This intellectual reverence of God and no understanding that we are to be terrified of God. (laughs) When I look through scripture and I see examples of people encountering God, I look at Moses. The first time that he met God at the burning bush, he fell on his face horrified. 
the prophet Isaiah gets to see the Lord seated on his throne and he just wails and cries, woe is me, woe is me, for I have seen the holy God and I am a man of unclean lips. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 17, we have the uh, transfiguration where Peter, James, and John are led up to the top of the mountain with Jesus. And at the top of this mountain, God decides to reveal his glory to these three men. And he speaks to these three men and reveals Christ's glory. And these three disciples fall on their faces terrified. This is the same Jesus that calmed the raging sea when they were in the boat with him. There's no safer person, person to be with right now. But they fall terrified at his feet. Make no mistake, every single person that has ever lived or ever will live will encounter God at some point. And when they do, it will be terrifying. Not just this intellectual reverence. Our hearts will melt with fear like the residents of Jericho, like Rahab the harlot, because he alone is holy. Now, I'd like to take a second to challenge you. Be honest with yourself. What is truly in your heart today? In the bulletin, I ask the question, is there something in your life that you fear more than you fear God? Uh, maybe right now you fear poverty. Maybe you fear the approval of your peers and your coworkers. Maybe uh, you fear political outcomes. Maybe you fear failed relationships. Or maybe you're like me and you feared your sin. You fear change. Uh, take 30 seconds here. And I want you to, you can, you can write it down in the bulletin if you like to, but you don't have to. But I ask you, just be honest with yourself. What is in your heart? What do you fear more than you fear God? You see, when we encounter God, the things that we fear... They're put into perspective. How can we depend upon God if we don't first recognize our position as sinners before the holy judge? How can we depend upon him if we don't first step into that place? And I remember vividly that day in college when I encountered God and I was just afraid before him. (laughs) I pray that we all get to have this experience, that we all get to have this perspective Um, And here's why fearing God is a great thing. It is a good thing. Because once you fear God, there is nothing left to fear. (laughs) If God is for us, who can be against us? It puts everything else in life in perspective. Rahab is a great example of this. Once she feared God, she no longer feared Jericho. (laughs) Now, Rahab is not just listed as a hero of our faith because she feared God. There are two passages in the New Testament that uh, shed light on her faith. And uh, the first one is in Hebrews. Uh, We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. So why don't you turn with me there?
Hebrews 11, verse 31. It says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So she gets one verse. Uh, seems a little bit underwhelming. By faith, Rahab welcomes the spies. Okay? Uh, there's a second passage, passage that shines a little more light on what this act of faith really is. So, flip a few more pages to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. We're going to read James two fourteen through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing of their physical needs? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions are working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay? So, Rahab, by faith, she welcomes the spies and she assists them and helps send them on their way in faith. Uh, and this is, this is takeaway number two, okay? We have to put our faith into action. Let's put ourselves in Rahab's shoes for a moment. Uh, just to make ends meet, uh, this woman, and in order to provide for herself and probably children... She sells her body to strangers in prostitution. She is abused day in and day out by strangers, physically, verbally. Her community, the people she lives amongst, they treat her as if she's a commodity and not an equal human being. I can only imagine that every time someone knocked on her door, she had to have tensed up in fear. What's going to happen? Oh, but I got to provide. Right? What a terrible way to live. Experience would tell her 
that when these two spies approached her, why should they be any different from any other stranger that walks into town and approaches a prostitute? Why should they be any different? But she recognizes that they are Israelites and she remembers that Israelites are God's people. Now she has the choice. She can either continue to do what she has always done, provide for herself, uh, solicit herself to these men, uh, continue living in shame uh, in the community, or um, she could step out in faith, welcome these men into her home, be hospitable towards them, knowing that if God can provide a way out of slavery from Egypt for these people, maybe the same God can provide a different way for me. This is astounding faith. I mean, whoa, right? Uh, The kind of faith it must have taken to welcome them into her home and send them in a different direction, assisting them, astounds me. She has faith that only God can save her, the God of the Israelites. Rather than continuing in her old ways or being crippled by fear, she seeks refuge in the very power that she fears. In my personal story, when I encountered God, I was afraid of God because my sin was laid bare before Him. And I had a similar choice, uh, as we all do. I could either keep living the way that I always was, um, living a double life and kind of in sin and shame and hiding. Or I could step out in faith and trust that maybe God has another way for me other than this double life. That afternoon, uh, in the dorm room, I called Kyle Kostreva and I just told him that I really needed to talk to him and that it was urgent and he could tell that I was upset and God bless him. He drove right over to campus and picked me up and we just went for a drive. We went for a drive and in the car, I just confessed my sin to him. Told him everything that was going on. Uh, And in that moment, I began to relinquish control of my life. What was going to happen as a result was no longer up to me. (laughs) It was kind of up to God and uh, how he was going to work things out in my situation. And Kyle just listened to me. He listened to me. uh, He cried with me. And he shared with me that God has already forgiven me of these sins. That I don't need to continue living this way. (laughs) And in fact, I remember um, he parked the car and he started playing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And I can remember just singing My Chains Are Gone and just what a prayerful moment that was for me. Um, And in this moment, I began to fear God more and everything else came into perspective. Because I was, I was afraid of losing friends. I was afraid of losing my reputation. I was afraid of um, losing a leadership position in the ministry. Uh, And I was afraid that I was losing God too. Um, But (laughs) God had a different way for me. And once I started fearing him, everything else just didn't matter as much. 
our faith, it has to be accompanied by action. I can't help but to see this in Rahab's story as well. Saving faith, it never just rests in fearing God. Even the demons shudder and fear God. It's not enough to just rest in this fear. Rahab recognizes her position before God and her heart melts before him because of it. She knows that she cannot save herself from what's coming. So instead, by faith, she seeks refuge in God. She welcomes the spies. She assists them in sending them on their way, making them swear an oath by the Lord uh, that they will spare her and her family. She doesn't make them uh, swear an oath on their name or on their honor or on her name. She knows that this oath has to be upon the one that truly can save her. Her faith is proven by her works. In fact, she is likened to Abraham. I love that in this passage. We should change her name from Rahab the harlot to Rahab the one like Abraham. We might think about her a little differently. And this brings us to our third point. And that is that God's redemption is for all people. Praise God. Now let me share with you uh, how Rahab's story ends. In Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites are... um, taking over the city of Jericho and burning everything to the ground. Joshua commands the same spies. He says, go get Rahab and her family. Bring them out and into our camp. And then it simply says, Rahab continues to live with the Israelites to this day. Now in the New Testament, we get a little bit more context for how her story ends. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus starting in verse 1. And I'm not a big fan of reading genealogies. They're a little boring. But if we dig into this genealogy, we find that Rahab, later while living among the Israelites, married a man named Salmon. And it says that Rahab was the mother of Boaz, who was the father of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. And from King David, we get Jesus, all the way down to Jesus. Um, And very few times in genealogies does it actually list the mother's name. It's always um, the father's. But in Jesus' lineage, we see Rahab. It's very particular to mention Rahab and Ruth. Okay? Um, So here's what God did. God took this Gentile woman who is living as a prostitute ready to be destroyed. And by her faith and through his grace, (laughs) he redeems her so beautifully that when he sends his son into our world, it is through her bloodline. God welcomed Rahab into his very family by blood. That is beautiful redemption. She was the lowest of low, the least likely that we would expect uh, the bloodline of Jesus to come from. Her story begins in shame and sin, but it ends in honor and redemption. See, God was not ashamed of Rahab. He was not ashamed to welcome Rahab into his family. Folks, 
God wants to redeem all people. And he is powerful enough that it doesn't matter what you did or what your neighbor did. God can redeem them and you. You know, for those of you that uh, might not know uh, what R5 High School is, I mentioned that that's where I work. R5 High School is the alternative high school here in District 51. And most of our students come to us because they were failing for whatever reason. Some of them were bullied. Uh, Some of them just didn't get it in school. Uh, Some of them maybe just had life circumstances that took them out of school for a longer period of time and they fell behind, couldn't catch up. Some of them just made really poor decisions, bad choices. Regardless of the reason, all of them just need a fresh start. And when I tell people that I work at R5 High School, there is a stereotype in this community. That's where the bad kids go. And when I tell them that I work there, their face kind of cringes a little bit, and they go, oh, what's it like working there? Um, That seems like hard work. And if you are someone that has asked me that, I'm not trying to pick on you, so please don't think that I'm trying to pick on you. I'm simply just trying to say that, folks, there are people in your life and in my life that stereotypically, when we look at them, we think, oh, that's not really God's type, God's type of people. I don't need to associate with them. Right? And so what we do is we avoid them. We let those stereotypes get in the way of someone that could be a part of our family, a brother or a sister in Christ. There are Rahab people, Rahab-like people all over this, this valley, even in this church. Sitting here today, I believe that. Uh, And these people, they need to hear God's story in your life. That you were redeemed. That you were dirty and ashamed before a holy God. But you can be redeemed and so can they. They need to hear Rahab's story. They need to hear uh, the story of Peter. Right? Who have you been avoiding? I ask you that. Who have you been avoiding that could be your brother or sister in Christ. Now, in conclusion here, we're going to close up, we're going to finish. Uh, I hope that you have been encountered by God at some point in your life. Maybe that's today. Maybe it was some time in the past, but you have heard these stories and you have to respond to God. And when you encounter God, I pray that you've been challenged to respond in at least one of these three ways that we see Rahab responding to God. The first, in your heart of hearts, do you actually fear God more than anything else in your life? Or is your perspective screwed up? And if you don't, if you don't fear God, go home, open up the word of God and pray for understanding. Number two, Are you putting your faith in God into action? Can the people around you see your faith by what you are doing? It's not enough to just sit idly by believing that God is real. It's not enough. And number three, 
Are you avoiding certain types of people? Or are you treating all people in a way that tells them there is room for you in God's family? I don't care what you did. I don't care what is in your past or who you are. There is plenty of room for you in the redemption of God's family. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we, uh, we thank you for the story of Rahab. We thank you that your story is being knitted together in everybody's lives here on earth. God, I pray that we would be people that acknowledge that you are Lord, that we fear you more than anything else, and that through that fear, we would have nothing left to fear. God, I, fr- I pray that we would be people that live out our faith. That as we go to work, as we go home, that people would see our faith in action and that it would point them to you. God, I pray that uh, we would be the type of church, we would be the type of people um, that welcome all people into your family. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this body. Bless us today. We pray this in Christ's name.